Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our second part of our Sandy and Royal Blue series. Today we're joined by somebody who knew Sandy, I would say, best at Ibrooks. Um, worked with him for many, many years. He is former supporters liaison officer, Jim Hanna. Jim, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Scott. How are you? You all right, aye? Yeah, I'm fine, mate. I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm good. Good, good. Good. Now, we're here to talk about, obviously, a, a legend at the club a legendary man um, in Sandy Jarden. What are your kind of early memories of meeting Sandy for the first time? Take on for there, Jim. Um, 
To be honest, I can't even remember the, the very first time that I met Sandy because he, he was working in the um, he was working for Scottish Brewers um, when he came back to Rangers. He wasn't actually working with Rangers, but there was there was some of the other players that were doing their meet and greet, um, you know, working at the club. Uh, well, Sandy was working with the Brewers, but he was still kind of meet and greet for the Brewers type yeah. thing. They had sweet Scottish um, tunes, Lager and and all, all that, they were the sponsors and all that at the time, so we had a big job with them. Um, and I just I'd crossed paths with them a couple of times, but never really got down to speaking to him until um, he came on board. Um, uh, he was working with, with Bob Riley at the time, and, and Bob Riley got him a kind of full time job, you know, back at the club, because Bob could see what Sandy was, um, what he was good at, you know, and he was a, he was a good talker, he was a great. Um, person to speak to, he was uh, really easy to speak to, and when I got to meet Sandy, and I was a wee bit kind of, you know, don't know what to say to him type thing, but in a way, of just putting you at ease and talking to you like like one of your mates, mm-hmm. um, which I couldn't believe that this guy played for Rangers in a mass. You know, he was I think he's one of the th- he's the third. Um, most games, you know, for Rangers, and mm-hmm. and even then he would he would have surpassed even John Gregg, yeah. had he stayed at Rangers because he went to Hearts and he amassed over a thousand games, Sandy, which was phenomenal. When he won, he won the Player of the Year award when it, even was at Hearts, you know, when he was supposed to be in retirement. Um, but a lovely, lovely, lovely guy, and um, my life saw the better for meeting him, and um, and becoming friends with him. Yeah. No socially, we didn't actually um we didn't actually go because Sandy stayed in Edinburgh obviously and I stayed in Glasgow. Um we never went out socially anywhere unless it was like functions, um, travelling abroad uh, with the Rangers or going to a NASA convention, um, you know, things like that. <clears throat> I've seen him every day of the week, um, which was the best part, you know. Yeah. Um, meeting him in the morning, used to come in every morning, we'd have a wee chat in the mornings um, about things going on. If it wasn't, I'll forget about the the administration side of it, but mm-hmm. all that, um, we used to come in and just sit and chew the fat and talk about my families, talk about, you know, anything, just life in general. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he would often have got some pictures of him, you know, I always had a camera when we used to pictures of him. And he's, he's kind of, Lying back in the chair with his feet up my desk, you know, drinking his coffee. <laughs> that was always, always the biscuits for people coming in, you know. I said, You want a biscuit? No. He said, I only eat one thing a day, and that's like, I don't eat it no day. So I go home at night and I have this big, massive cow pie, he called it, for a desperate Dan dinner. <laughs> and we were all piled up with mash, and he said, That was the only dinner I, I ate. And I said, You don't eat How could you no eat something no day? He says, I've done that when I was a player, and he said, I've just continued to do that um, through his life. I, I just I couldn't comprehend that because I was always eating I was a, in the preferable fat. And I'm munching away, and he's just sitting down with his coffee, you know. <laughs> lovely, lovely man. Um, as I say, great to speak to you. Him and I just kind of clicked, you know. We just became um, really, really good friends, uh, although we're work colleagues. Yeah. Always just 
I'd pop into his office or he'd come out to my office maybe three, four times a day. And even when he was up in the, um, the training ground, the two offices, there's one up in the training ground as well because it was a, well, I was a fans liaison, he was a players liaison. Yeah. Um, so he had to be up there, obviously. He was up there two days a week. And the rest of the time he was done at Ibrox. <coughs> yeah. um, even then he was on the phone. He was on the phone talking to you, know. Yeah. You, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody. Um, he was great to be with for meeting people and introducing um, introducing to people. And uh, this, this is my pal and my colleague, Jim Hanna, you know. And, um, but no, he was a lovely guy. Sadly, sadly must. Yeah. Obviously, he used to be the the first point of contact for a new signing when they when they joined Rangers. He used to go and meet them, etc., and, and and bring them to Ibrox or bring them to the training ground or whatever. What a what a person to meet if you're coming to be a Rangers player. You know, if if the the, the stadium didn't, and I don't know how the stadium could impress you, but if the stadium and the, and the setup at Rangers didn't impress you, surely after talking to Sandy, you were bursting to sign that contract. Yeah. He did die. He used to, uh, one of his, his jobs were, you know, meeting him at the airport, um, finding him flats, houses, whatever it is, um, <clears throat> getting him to settle in. Um, he was in charge of the cars as well. He would, you know, get them a car. And everything to do with the players. So the players all, if anything wrong, it was on the phone to Sandy. He, he needed to fix this for me. Mm-hmm. My plumbing's not working. Um, you know, I need this, the lights conked, I've not got a bulb, and you know, things like that. <laughs> and, uh, I've run out of petrol, you know, and you know, but I, I was lucky enough um, a few times um, to go with Sandy um, and meet players, and a couple of times he sent me because he was too busy yeah. to go and see a, a flat or something, and he was going to pick these people up at the airport and, and that sort of thing. Um, which wasn't part of my remit, but I was being a Rangers fan. I just loved it. I did. Two times I'd done it. I just, just had to sneak out, uh, sneak out of my office and go to the airport, pick, pick them up and take them to the flat. I, think, I remember the when um, what's your kind of mean the boy's name? He worked with Leguen. I picked him up, um, took him to his flat. Him and his wife and his daughter. And his daughter saying to me, <clears throat> where's all the nightclubs uh, in Glasgow in French? He's French, obviously. Where, where's all the nightclubs? I went, you're asking a wrong person. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> tell him was a nightclub. I said, because her English was perfect. Um, uh-huh. I said, but you better actually go and meet somebody. Don't go yourself. Um, no, I'll be fine. And I'm, I said to her dad, I said, don't let her go in Glasgow herself. Uh, he went, I'll, I'll have a word with her. Yeah. But no, it was it was great that that way and Sandy had worked hard. Um, you know, finding all these flats, he had all these contacts and all that. He's what's yeah. in his address book, his phone book. You know, he carried his file facts with him and all these numbers in it. And it was I mean he was in charge of all the, the scouts as well. He introduced uh, a system that was um, a bit like uh, do you play like FIFA and all that and PlayStation? Yeah. It's a bit like that. And we seen a way before FIFA came out. Ah. And they had this, I can't remember what he called it, but he showed me, he was dead enthusiastic about it. And he showed me it and he went, he said, name me a player, name me a player. 
I said, what do you mean? His name would play anywhere in the world. And I'd give him his name and he would type it in. He, he couldn't type. He was like... <laughs> <laughs> One finger. Yeah, let me do it. I'll do it for you. No, no, I won't. It's the only way I'm going to learn. <laughs> and he would put the guy's name in it. It would come up, come up with all his details and the position he played. And, um, but what's, what this thing done was... Scout, it was called. That's what the name of the system was. He would send, say they got, to go and watch a player for talking sake, he would send like three, five scouts to to watch them at different times. Mm-hmm. And they would send a report back. And all the reports would be on this guy. And um, so even if even if the manager had moved on, the other manager came in, um, all the stuff was all there on the other players. And the players that they'd, they had been to see, or, you know, maybe he fancied signing somebody the Rangers hadn't signed. Aye. He could look back and see why he hadn't signed them. That type of thing. Previous to that, it was Ewan Chester used to be the, the head scout. Ewan had everything, smart guy, had everything in his head. Aye. He never, nothing was put down in a computer or anything. And Sandy wanted to change that because when Ewan Chester moved on, there was, you know, everybody to start from scratch again. Aye. Which wasn't right, you know. So, this um, system called Scout, um, he, oh, he loved this, he loved this thing, you know, and it, it helped him. It helped him, you know. And I would say, there's a young boy, um, I would his, his, parents, his dad on saying that um, he's a great prospect, wants to play for Rangers, and he's contacted Rangers, and Rangers and I came to see him. So Sandy looked it up, and he went, Jim, he went, he went to this school, it was his primary school, that was his secondary school, uh, played with this club, youth club, that youth club, played with, and he could tell me all about the guy. He uh-huh. says, he's got a rating here, and it's just below being a Rangers player. He says, that's the reason we have no signed him. I says, well, his dad's on saying nobody's contacting him. He says, well, the scout should have gotten to touch with his dad. He says, that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put a note in that, you know, for the scouts that have been to see him. So anyway, so the scouts' jobs, are obviously, they don't go there and say, I'm a Ranger scout, I'm here to watch your boy. Uh-huh. Off, you know, they want to see the boy in his everyday environment playing football. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, that Sandy said, Can you phone the guy back and I'll phone him back. I said, be better if you phone him, you know. I phone him back. I said, he's just going to go, well, somebody's told him that. Uh-huh. I said, well, if you phone him, Sandy, it's a different ball game, you know. Uh-huh. So Sandy does, Sandy phoned the boy up and says, listen, he's, he's sat and he's dead told the dad everything about him and he says I know you're not going to like this he says but um, he's no got the marks to be a Rangers player he said I'm not saying he's not going to be a professional footballer and he'll not turn into a Rangers player later on mm-hmm. he could make the grade with maybe Morton or something Aye. and turn out you know to be a, a world class player with Morton you know then Rangers might be interested in him but at this moment in time because I've got so many kids that I've got to look for you know and how many people must be saying, come and see my boy, come and see my boy. You know, everybody wants a boy to play for Rangers, everybody wants to play for Rangers, so it's it's just bad. But the fact that Sandy even took that phone call on himself, I think is a measure to the man. See, see any, any difficult situation, he wasn't afraid to phone the person up. He just phoned him up. He, even people, some people, believe it or believe it or not, um, before all the, the stuff started, administration, um, didn't like Sandy, they thought he was a bit off and a bit, but they got him, they, they maybe got him at an away European game in an airport 
when he was trying to get all the players in and these people were up. Uh, Gives a picture, you know. I've, I've been in a situation myself um, where I've been wanting to get pictures taken with, with players and all that, and you've had a few drinks. And Sandy's trying to get them all through passport control, mm-hmm. get them on the plane, and you know, and he's maybe a wee bit to the guy, you know, you get on the road or something like that, you know. Aye. Aye. And they turned around and they, they kind of slagged them off. And I used to say that these guys have been online and they're slagging you off. Give me their number, so you phone them up. And then the guy's whole opinion of him just totally changed. Aye. He'd first of, first of all go and apologise, and then he was telling what he was doing, and he'd explain to them, and the guys were so humble that Sandy Jordan had phoned them. Aye. He wasn't afraid to phone anybody. Nobody was afraid to phone. Again, that's a measure of the, of the man, you know, because he's there in an official capacity. He's not there to have the meet and greet side of things where, you know, he's, he can have a bit of time with you or whatever. He's there in an official capacity. Definitely. You know, um, strange froze a wee bit. Obviously, Sandy around the place. I mean, it must have been amazing for guys like yourself to be there and, and Sandy's talking, and obviously, you became friends with him. But would Sandy be, I mean, if you just kind of mentioned there about he wouldn't be afraid to put his role first and, and say, No, well, I'm working here, or this is my opinion, this is what to do. But he be, would he be quite kind of maybe outgoing and, and outspoken towards bosses etc if he wasn't happy the way things were going definitely um there's quite a few occasions where he had um run-ins with uh, martin bain mm-hmm. um because he would tell martin things uh, martin was a guy that i didn't really i liked him but didn't really go on with him work-wise mm-hmm. um and had a, a he had an occasion to um, it's a long story, I'm not going to it, but it's occasion to, to put me on part-time working. And Sandy says, this is ridiculous, and we're lying, and he, he blew his talk with Martin Bain. Um, eventually, I got back working full-time again. But this is the kind of thing you'd Martin done with people. He didn't do it his way, he didn't want you there, basically, you know. Uh, but Sandy wasn't, wasn't frightened to go in there. And he was always approachable to go to the chairman, any chairman that was a, at the club at any time. He was, I'll just go up, chat with him, walk in and see him. Because everybody else had to phone up his PA and say, can I have a meeting with the chairman? Oh, he's going to be busy for the next two or three days. Unless it's really, really urgent, um, you never go to see him, or the chief exec or whatever. Um, Sandy just used to barge into the room, you know, sit down what he would do in the morning. They would just come in and just sit and then they would just tell them things and then they would come on the phone and say, Why is this happening? You know, even if I told Sandy something something's not right here, you know, Chief Exec's got to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Sandy would go away and tell them. And then I'd get a phone call. Why did you not come to me? I said, Well, I, well one, I can't. Um, it's hard to get to see you. And two, Sandy just took it upon himself just to go to my office and then get out right and see you. Um, that's the kind of thing. And um, no, he was he was he was a he's a great guy. He was he, he took me under his wing, um looking after the, the trophy room and um like the history. There was a a group, uh, the SFA ran it and it was um is it foot, Scottish football history and heritage um group and Sandy was a was a part of it. And um, 
he took me to one of the meetings and he explained who I was. And they said, yeah, that, that's fine, you, know, you can sit in. You know, he says, because if ever I'm not here, I'm too busy. He says, Jim will step in in my place. Mm-hmm. And so they were fine with that. Um, and then we had a meeting done in Ibrox. We had invited them out in Ibrox. Everybody was in that group except Celtic, by the way. <laughs> Honestly. Um, they, they were they weren't a part of the group. Um, I mean, Aberdeen, Dundee United, everybody had hearts. They were all there. Um, and it was, it was, they, they were talking about, Sandy would talk about what's going on in the club and, you know, the history and you know, the museum and and the, the guy for this, for the Hamden Museum was there, the creator, Richard, um, I can't remember Richard's surname, um, but he was there and he was, he was amazed at the knowledge that Sandy had of the club. Mm-hmm. He had a good knowledge of the club, although he wasn't an employee of Rangers, but he was a Scottish football historian. Mm-hmm. So he knew he knew about nearly every club, every cover boy. Um, and Sandy had taken me under under his wing to look after um, like trophies and, and all that sort of thing, and changed the cabinets. Had my own set of keys for all the cabinets and move things about for tours and make sure everything was, was changed and introduce new things and he kind of gave me cap lunch to go and do what I wanted, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had, I'd, I'd managed to get a hold of Jim Baxter's jersey for 1967. I says to Sandy, I want to put it in a cabinet. No, 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 I can't, no, it's, it's trophies only. I said, no, this is a special jersey. Mm-hmm. And I didn't need to tell him that, he knew that. Um, so he said, all right then, go ahead. Um, so I done it and I got a kind of half mannequin and I put it in with a, with a match ticket. The guy gave me his jersey, the match ticket program, mm. and a picture of Jim and a wee biog and all that, and I put that in the trophy room. And Sandy came up and went like that. That's a brilliant idea of mine. <laughs> <laughs> he used to do that all the time. He used to do that all the time. He'd come into my office and he would, he would bounce things off you. And I'd bounce things off of him and I'd say, what about this and that? And he go, oh, I'm not sure about that, Jim. And he'd leave my office and then he'd be going to the market department and he was saying, what do you think of this idea? And of course, the Sandy's saying it, they would go, other oh, ears would prick up. And go, I think that's a good idea. And then he'd leave my office and he'd go into the press office and he would speak to the ends. What do you think of this idea? I just had this thought came in my mind. And then he would go to the Rangers News office and he would tell them. And he would, everybody would say, oh, that's a great idea. Then he's walking back down, he'd come into my office and he'd go, Jim, what do you think of this idea? And he would tell me, I mean, are you, are you for real? Goes, what do you mean? I said, it was me who told you that. <laughs> he'd been told, told, told that many people. You and forgot. As an idea, by the time he got back to me, they came into me and forgot that I told them at the first place. Brilliant. I you doing this. It was a laugh. I was just a laugh with it, you know. I used to laugh every. I used to come in um, when I used to do the in charge of the boys and the flags in the pitch. Some of them would come back around after the game, and Sandy would come in after the game and would chew the fat one in the game and who, you know, what the manager should have done or how bad this player was or that player, and uh, the boys used to just sit. <laughs> Listen, he's never word, you know. <laughs> the Sandy was they would say, Jim, can I get a picture with Sandy? <laughs> Ask him. <laughs> I don't like I say, Sandy, you know what? 
Aye, no problem. Go on. We said, where if we were in the trophy room, we could get a picture in the trophy room. But it was never once did I ever hear him saying no to someone. Even meeting people in the street, um, meeting fans in the street, walking around the stadium, you know, it was stopped. If, it's, if they say, yes, Sandy Jarden, you come up and say, you want a picture? You know, uh-huh. you know, kids, older people, you know, it didn't matter. He was, he was so friendly and outgoing, um, great personality. Um, lovely, lovely guy. Mm. I've said that a hundred times, I know he's a lovely guy. I think that's all you hear everybody saying about a Sandy that's ever came across him, you know, and I never was fortunate enough to meet the guy in person, but I always, whenever you've seen Sandy Jarden standing there in that club suit, he, you know, it's just, there was just something about the guy that just, I don't know, I can't explain it myself as a supporter, but there was just something about the guy that you thought, he's one, he, he's he's a good guy to have as one of us, you know. The day, the day of the march to Hamden, Oof. Um, I remember he'd been all week, he'd been into meetings and all that with the police and um, the Union Bears, I think they were the ones that organised it. And Sandy's going, oh, I can't, he these, these boys are just wanting to have a march, do you know what I mean? Um, but they can't have a march because they've got to get, got to have permission like two or three weeks before or something ridiculous like that. He says, I'm... Uh, I'm meeting with the police to um, to get them to say it's okay. He says they want me to be they want me to be in charge of the whole thing. He says I can't do that, Jim. He says you should be doing that. I said I'm not going to listen to me, Sandy. They're going to listen to you. Uh-huh. So anyway, he was involved in the meetings with the boys and the police and all that, and got the march. So the day of the march, him and I, two of us had cars, a couple of cars, and we took. Um, how did we do it now? We drove up to Hamden, left one of the cars, and then we left Sandy's car, I think it was, and then we took my car, went down to Queen's Park to meet all the, the guys. This time we're kind of guessing there'd be maybe five, six hundred people there. So we're down the part of the car and we walked around, and we're walking around, I'm going like Sandy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so look at it, look at the people that's here. And then we went into the park and it was like thousands, thousands. <laughs> Sandy, 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 over this time. <laughs> it's his names, his whole reputation's in the way. I don't know if it's a whole lot of this goes there. I'm going to ask it. We get there and we're at the front. I said, but all the looks, I said, the guys, had, the boys had got some well known Rangers heavies and all along the line just to keep people in check so uh, they didn't cause any trouble uh, they were brilliant they organised they, they organised that absolutely to a T you know and him and I just stood in there and he's going like, what, what do we do and I, I don't know <laughs> we went to march over just walk up to Hamden where are we going to go I said the boys tell me he's already told us he'll go in the front and he'll leave just to follow him and I remember Leaving Queen's Park Rec and starting to go up the hill, and I looked back and I went, Sandy, look at that. There was thousands, there were still thousands <laughs> in the park. <laughs> Half a mile up the road. <laughs> and he's going, like, Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, eventually, he gets to Hamden, and uh, I, had this, I had this letter and, um, to hand in to Regan, I think it was Regan that was in charge, and um, Doncaster. 
and uh, Sandy's going to hone it in. So eventually everybody comes in. It took ages and ages for them all to come in. And I went, jeez, come on, there must be about 10,000 people here. I was quite good at judging crowds with the ticket and the queue and, and get a rough idea of when he was there, you know, before we started using clickers. I said, there's got to be about 10,000 here. Easy. And there was as many again lined the streets. Aye. Like, like it was a walk or something like that. Was <laughs> or something. There was many again cheering you on and everything. So Sandy's like that. Um, so the boy comes up and he gives Sandy the megaphone. He went, here, you... I'm not doing that. I don't know what to say. <laughs> so he goes, I don't know what to say. He, never, he hadn't rehearsed anything. He didn't know what he was going to say. Um, we had just thought there was going to be four or 500 people there. And he was just going to talk to them once we got in Harden. Um, anyway, he starts talking. And um, he goes like that to me. And, um, just before he started on the megaphone, he went, Jim. No, tell a lie. No, tell a lie. It was when we were just coming near Hamden. He went, Jim, I've left that letter in my car. <laughs> I went, Hamden to the SFA. And I went, oh, I said, because he was always joking. You know what I went, That's what Sandy did. He went, Seriously. I could see in his face he was being serious. He's gone, No, I've left it in the car. It's on the dashboard in the car. <laughs> it was his car. It was doing it. it was, my car it was at Hamden. That's what it was. It was his car. It was at Queen's Park. He goes, oh, what a good idea. So I've shouted one of the organisers and we, we Billy McGummery. So Billy's went into the um, uh, news agents and bought a packet of envelopes. So <laughs> Sandy's got this envelope. I've not got an envelope, so this one, this up. He's got this envelope and he's gone. He's got a megaphone. You'll see the pictures when you look at it. He's gone. I'm going to hand this later in, and I'm going out of the side. Let's fuck on inside. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean no, to that's all right. It's, it's, you can swear on it, it's fine. There's, uh, there's, there's nothing inside it, and he's going to. No, no, He says, no, I'm going to tell them. And he was dead genuine, you know. He says, they can take me out of their Hall of Fame. I'm not really interested in Hall of Fame after what they've done to Rangers. Mm-hmm. So anyway, is it, is it finished? Is it finished? He goes like that. He says, come on, we need to take this letter in. I said, there's no letter there. He said, I know, but we've got to be seen to begin in with it. So we went in. And we said, there was, was nobody there anyway, because they, they had knew no, no were coming. And they was bloody bolted. And um, there was this one we asked in the reception. Sandy went, this is for uh, Mr. Regan. She went, uh, oh, she just give me and I'll put it in his inbox. And he went, no. Just put it in the bin here, I'll bring the right one up and went <laughs> off an hour or something. He says, <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and we came out talking to all the guys. The fans were absolutely brilliant. Absolutely amazing. There wasn't a, a, not even an ounce of bother. And the police commended um, Sandy and all the fans, you know, for their, for their behaviour and how well it was organised and all that. And that was all done to the fans, basically, you know. And and because it was Sandy Jardin, it was fronting it up. For them, they would make sure that everything was going to go right, and <laughs> you know, they were meticulous in the planning. The fans they were absolutely brilliant. But we, we were at an ASA convention, and um, can't remember where it was. But Sandy, I, I used to go up there, we about speaking. Uh, Sandy, we got up there about speaking. Sandy goes, Jim, I said, I'm going to tell him that story about the envelope. I'm then, I says, We have a good one because I've got it on here. <laughs> <laughs> 
I told the story before him that he was, he was rich. He's had that part in my speech, you know. Uh, see that day, Jim? That, that day going to Hamden, myself and my pal who are doing the part one, uh, Sandy special, we were we were part of the walk that day, and or the march that day, sorry. And I have to say, it's probably one of my, one of my proudest days as a Rangers supporter because I think you've seen the... St- and it was obviously only a sign of things that was to come, yeah. knowing we were going down to third division and how the fans kind of took to it and, and what we'd done after that. But I think you really seen the strength of Rangers Football Club that day and, and its fan base alone, you know, because there's too many factions at times between them. And I think when we all get together, we're an unstoppable force. And to have somebody like Sandy as the figurehead and obviously yourself, the, the, the picture of the two yous at the front of the, the march was just absolutely unbelievable. What a day. You know, you made a good point there about all the different factions of Rangers fans. You know, sometimes we're, we're our own worst enemy. Yep. If we go together as a unit, um, we could be unstoppable, honestly. Um, it's something that I always tried to do when I was a fan's liaison, but it's, it's an impossible task because yeah. everybody had their own agendas, yeah. And it's difficult to get people to give things up, give up a bit of power to join something that's, you know, that is going to impinge on what they're, what they're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. um, which is a real shame um, because United. Rangers fan base would be the strongest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and there is a couple of times like the, the March to Hamden um, and, you know, turning up for games and all that, everybody's kind of got together and it showed how strong they were as a fan base. And mm-hmm. I'm, just talk, I'm not just talking about Scotland, I'm talking worldwide. Um, you know, the, never ever, I mean, they, they quoted a, a figure of two million it might be more than that. It might be less than that, but it's hard to, to kind of find out who really are Rangers fan. Um, but no, I mean Sandy was and he was integral in pulling all these people together um, as well. And it's great to have a figurehead like that. And Sandy wasn't he? He wasn't really. Um, I'm not. It's wrong to say he wasn't bothered about putting his, his reputation in the line. Because he had a reputation second to none as a, as a Rangers player and a Scotland player and, and even a Hearts manager and, and the ex-player as well. Um, he was putting all that in line, on the line just to help the club it. Memories, yeah, you can't take the memories away, yeah. I think it's a measure of the man as well that he was willing to be removed for the SFA Hall of Fame because obviously Sandy was a great Scotland player as well and and to actually, that must have been a proud achievement for him to be on the Hall of Fame in the Scottish Football Association. And for him, he, he turned around and said, well, I'm no fussed about that and put the club before himself. It's just, you know, there's no words to describe that. You know, as a, as a man, there's no words to describe him. I've done a few interviews with him, um, just for myself and a, and a couple of cameras just recording it. I had all these questions to ask him and um, asked him what he's... His, um, his greatest moment was the Rangers, and um, and his worst moment was, and his worst moment was um, not getting made a captain um, when John Gregg took over, mm-hmm. and you see all the players all thought because Sandy had been a captain when Gregg was the plane, he was a kind of vice captain, and um, he was expecting it. He says maybe I was wrong in expecting to be the captain, but all the players are all saying. Greg made Derek Johnson the captain, and that was a major influence in Sandy 
eventually leaving the club um, because of that. Albeit, I mean, Hearts had come in, and I mean, as he was a wee kid, he, he stayed right next to Gorgie. He went to the school behind uh, Tynecastle. Um, I think it's Tynecastle Priming or something like that's called. Um, so you, you can understand how he was an Edinburgh boy. Aye. Um, I'm not too sure if his dad is a Rangers fan or not. Because his, his dad, I don't know if you might be touching that on your, your other but mm-hmm. his dad had just said to him, he says, I thought I was going to be playing for Hearts. And my dad says, right, get ready, we're going through to Ibrox. And through to Ibrox and um, signing with Rangers. And he went, what? He says, no, he's signing the biggest club in the mm-hmm. world. So it kind of took him through to Ibrox and, uh, and uh, the rest is history. Um, he's, 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 he's very well got at, at Hearts as well mm-hmm. um, everybody that I met at Hearts all speaks to him it's everything that, and Tynecastle's all it's Andy Jardin mm-hmm. and Donald you know and, uh, and it was a shame when he got you know I can't, I'll never forget the day he came into my office closed the door and I said what's the matter knew something was wrong and he said I've got cancer Um I went, I just, I burst out crying. He's going, no, stop, I can't handle this, Jim. He says, stop that. Um, which was difficult. And he explained to me, um, you know, what it was. And he was going to get his treatment and all that. Uh, I couldn't believe it. Honestly, you could have, it was like a hot with a sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, I've not told him yet. I've come in and I've said to you, it was one of the things we used to tell one another personal things mm-hmm. that was going on in our lives and families or whatever um, that we never spoke about with anybody else. Um, and it was good to have that affinity with him. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, was, it was kind of all downhill for them. Yeah. And then he, he kind of got a bit of reprieve. And he came back to Ibrox. Um, he's on the phone every day. I mean, he used to phone you every single day. Like, what's happening? You know, and tell what's happening at the club. Um, what's all about this and that? And what about the fight fund? What about this? What about that? Um, when did he see him a couple of times? And he says, um, when did he see him in the hospital? Um, spoke to his wife, Shona, and Shona says, I come to the hospital. So I went to the hospital uh, when he was in, but he had a relapse, a major relapse, and they weren't expecting it to pull through the night. And I've walked into the ward and I'm going, and nurse came up and says, or the sister, she says, can I help you? I said, I'm looking for and Sandy Jardin. She went, or oh, she says, come here, she took me into the room. So um, I'm in this waiting room, and then Shona came in, crying. And I go, what's the matter, Shona? And she went, Jim, you will know, pull through the night. You will know, expecting them to last through the night, but he did. Mm-hmm. And then they put him in and just come in. And eventually he got, he got better and, you know, things are looking great. And then came back again. Boom, we have vengeance, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, he would never let me, he used to say to me, even though it went out, he says, don't, don't even mention, he'd tell you that on the phone, don't even mention the cancer. I want you just to talk, like, we talked every day. Mm-hmm. And that was a conversation. So it was like talking about Rangers and talking about the club and, you know, what's going on and 
who's who's taken over the club and oh, some of the times were terrible. Mm-hmm. Then again, Sandy was always there to give you a bit of advice. Right. Um, Dave, I just go into my office because you couldn't get in to see the tooth, a lumbias, and there again. Can't mind who what his name was. But they they done everything behind closed doors. Do they were up to something, but. They were obviously stitching up all the contracts with the, the retail deal and all that in the shop. Yeah, yeah. And they were trying to live in for Ashley and Sandy's going, just go in and ring the door. I said, the door's locked, the lockouts. Mm-hmm. And Ashley's shutting the door and locking it. Nobody knows what's going on. You know there's something, you don't do that unless you're up to something. Yeah, there's something happening. Yeah, well, you need to, you need to find out. I'm not going to tell me anything. Um, you know what fans used to say to me, hey, you know, Say something, was, you know, can't hear me. These people, they're alone in themselves, you know. Um, and uh, one of the, the, the proudest things, Danny had his three pals for school days and uh, best buddies. They went everywhere together. Used to go on a Thursday night, I think it was. Every Thursday night, they would go for a couple of pints, right for they could, they were of age to start drinking. One of them played with Hibs, actually. Um, I was three. One of them played with Hibs. Another two. One was no bad player, apparently. The other one wasn't really a great fit of player. But they stuck together. And um, and they always, uh, even when Sandy was playing, they were out on a Thursday night, a couple of pints, a boiler for a couple of hours, and then they would go away again. And they were, they were, there, they were there anytime I went out to, the, to Sandy's house. They were at his bedside, and you know, and, up, and you couldn't talk about, um, couldn't talk about the cancer. In fact, there was one. It's not funny, but it was funny to Sandy. And um, one of his oldest pals was there, and Shona had went out to the shops to buy something. And um, she says, left instructions. You've got to give him his medication because he had to stay in top of his pain. Mm-hmm. And um, Sandy's always, I mean, he's lying there in his bed and he's talking, and laughing, joking, everything's great. And then Shona comes in. He's, I've got you these joggers and T-shirts. And he goes, oh, that's great. Huh? He said, I'm just talking to the boys in there. So she turns around to the boy and says, did you give me his medication? Oh, she said, I forgot. Oh, she went, Pfft. Which was right to go crazy because... Um, she went away down, got his medication, right, leave him here. So the boys went away and I was kind of just left myself downstairs. Then Sandy came in, came walking down the stairs, sat down. We were sitting in a, a chat then. And he went, don't listen, he says, Shona's, he says, she, obviously it's his wife and she's trying to look after him. She just, he said, don't worry about it. I said, I feel a wee bit out of place, you know. I think I should go. And he went, no, no, he's just like you know. He's having another coffee and we'll have a wee boiler, just me and you. And it, that was the last time I seen him. Died a couple, died four or five days after that. And uh, I'd went through to Edinburgh for his funeral and his pal had come up to me and he went, Jim, they gave me this wee sprig of hair, which I've still got. He says, you have to put that on your um, jacket. Um, he says, and Sandy He's only give it to his best friends and his family, son, that. I 
I felt really, really honoured. Mm-hmm. And he says, Sandy wants you to help us out and guiding people into their seats and all that um, at the crematorium. I, mean, I don't know if I could do that, you know. And he went, Sandy says you'll be able to do it anybody. And I went, that's, that's good enough for me then, you know. So I did. I've done that and then went back to back to get some food and that, you know, after the funeral. And uh, David Murray was there. And uh, Martin Bain was there, Walter was there. Oh, loads and loads of people there. David Murray was, um, he'd fell out big time with Martin Bain. Mm-hmm. Um, and David Murray went, no, I'm not going to enter. That's that's different, different thing altogether. Anyway, um, I was going out in my car. Eventually, I was going away, and Murray came out and he goes, "He's in a big limousine, <laughs> and I've got this wee Kia." <laughs> <laughs> He's going, "Is that what you've come down to? Driving one of them?" Was <laughs> the Rangers cars? I mean, I said, "Oh, they took Rangers cars off us years ago. So called them German." Anyway, I'm like, he says, "Well, wouldn't it happen if I was there?" He says, you'd all still be driving Rangers cars. He says, somebody's not been able to get a deal. Well, they've getting a deal for themselves and not getting a deal for the people that matter. Um, money was, money was, was, was great. You know what I mean? He was. And I know a lot of the fans are just totally against him, you know, but you'll never hear what or, or anybody else who dealings with David Murray um, saying anything bad about him because he only done what was good for the club. And I, I've said to fans, I mean, see if Murray wasn't there, we'd never, I don't think we'd have won nine in a row ever, honestly. And I know David Holmes started it, um, along with Lawrence Marlborough, it says money that he was using. But the Lawrence group at that time was going into administration, liquidation. Um, so the first, they'd all these subsidiary companies, Rangers were one of them. So there wasn't going to be any more money, so they had to sell a cup and fast. And then Murray came in with the money. And he, he took us up to another level, as far as I'm concerned. I know we had the Terry Butchers and Chris Woods and Trevor Francis and all that, under David Holmes, who was brilliant. Um, but Murray just took us to another level. You know, we were getting, like, Paul Gascoigne. You know, he, he backwater to the hilt. We are getting, like, Gascoigne and Loudrop and guys like that. Um, you know, where would we have been without gas going all over? I certainly don't think we'd have won, we'd have won nine in a row. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a point we never won the ten, but there we go. Aye. We'll make a tone we'll, we'll for that this year, don't worry, when we stop them getting it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, can, I can remember the last time when uh, Easter Road and Sandy missed the penalty that day, and Steenie scored the goal, and it goes a draw, and which one is the title? Hope them getting ten in a row. So let's hope. You know, Andrews influence. Aye. Through to stop getting ten in a row. I hope so. Start us nine Obviously, we we can't really touch upon Sandy one without talking about the. Obviously, I mean there was dark days for the club, but there was darker days for Sandy ahead. You know what I mean, personally, and, and the cancer and stuff like that. But Sandy was a shining light in our troubles for a fan. To look up to and somebody who would, who'd lead, who'd led the club in the correct way, he always conducted himself in the right way. When we knew if if Sandy gave somebody to seal of approval, then genuinely it must have been all right because it's Sandy. 
how, how did it, how was he for you guys? Obviously behind the scenes, the staff that maybe obviously the office staff, ticket office staff, as you said, to you, you would have had a soft spot for as well. People who genuinely might have lost their jobs there. How was Sandy running about the place with them? Sandy would speak to everybody. He would put everybody at ease. He would tell them what was happening. Um, he certainly knew um, more things because he was more privy to getting in person than he means and, <laughs> and talking to people uh, when everything was all right with him. Um, so he knew all these wee snippets and he would tell me them, but he would tell the rest of the staff as well. Mm-hmm. He would get into all the different offices and tell them all, you know, not to worry, you know, we're doing this, we're doing that, and here's what's happening and here's where we are. And he was, out, he was even up in the training ground, he spoke to the players and all that. Um, and one of his biggest disappointments was um, some of the players leaving, um, i.e. Stevie Davis and mm-hmm. guys like that, um, who left. Um, he was really, really, one of the times I've ever seen him, he was angry. He was really angry that uh, the players kind of moved on and never showed any loyalty. Mm-hmm. Sort of to the club, apart from Icy Lee Wallace, Lee McCulloch, um, the goalkeeper, and a couple others, you know, um, who kind of stuck by the club um, because they knew hard times are going to be there, but we're going to get back up the top again. Mm-hmm. And you've got to applaud these guys for that as well. Sandy had an admiration for them as well, staying on. Yeah. And, um, but it was, it was a great influence to, to the staff, you know. Um, that he would go and talk to him. He's some of the younger staff wouldn't even know who he was. They would know who he was, but yeah, they wouldn't know his history. But you know, having playing for Rangers and things that he'd won at the club and all that. Um, and I, I, I many tell you that uh, the Sean Connery story about with Sandy, Sandy and I. But I'll tell you that another day. Well, it would for yourself. What was it like? And again, I know it's raw, and I know it's obviously an emotional time thinking about Sandy. But what was it like then when you heard the news? How did you find out the news that Sandy had sadly passed away, and that was the last time you'd seen him? Like you'd spoke about earlier. I don't know. I can't even remember the. To be honest with you, I, I, I tell you, it's just some. This is me. Something that's in me. I, I, I can't even remember when my mum passed away. I, oh, I can actually remember my mum passed away, but there's other people that are really close to me as well that passed away that I don't remember what I was doing or where I was at the time. <laughs> and I can't remember for the life of me when I found out Sandy was, I don't know if it was a phone call I got, probably was. Um, it might have been his son that phoned me. I think it was his son actually phoned me. Um, but it was, it was to be expected. To be honest with you, it was like he was in a lot of pain, and it was like, you know, is it better I'm suffering? Is, you yeah. know, he wasn't going to get any better. He knew that. His family knew that. But uh, it's uh, sad. I can't, I can't really. I know. I know the staff and the staff were some of the girls know that who. You, in the, in the marketing department and uh, the press office and um, commercial department were absolutely heartbroken, you know. Because um, everything, everything in, everything in 
Argyle House and everything in Rangers. Sandy Jardin had a had put his finger on it. Done. You know, it didn't matter what you didn't matter what you you were working on. You always you could always say Sandy. Well, Sandy helped me do that. Sandy done that. Mm -hmm. Sandy done that. You go to trophy rooms, everything. Sandy, the dressing rooms, the signs that was put up, and all the things in the tunnel. That was Sandy got that put up. Um, it's all his ideas. Um, so everywhere you went, and and Ibrox, Sandy's influence was there. Yeah. And when I get the chance to to tell him that um, I'd been to see that uh, Graham. What's his name? He was the chief executive. Graham Wallace. Wallace. Um, who was, it was really good. It was disappointing. I thought the guy would have been a guy to take his, but there was also uh, people pulling his strings, which uh, we didn't know about. Um, but I went and seen him and I said to him about Sandy. Um, <clears throat> he agreed to name a stand after him. Mm -hmm. um, I had got um, started a fund to get a bust medium mm -hmm. and I got permission for Graham Wallace to put it in the, the marble staircase next to Bill Street and for all he'd done because he, Sandy just used to go and speak to Graham Wallace even when he was after the first time he was he was ill and he came back he's, he's went and seen Graham Wallace spoke to him um, so Graham Wallace kind of knew him and he knew about he was a fit man Graham Wallace so he knew uh, what Sandy done in the club, and you can see his influences everywhere. And I agreed for me to get up to allow me to put a bus there, so I started raising money with the fans to get pay for this bus to Sandy. And um, and I told them and that last time I seen him, I says, "They're going to name a stand after you, and I've got permission to get this bus." My only regret was I never actually get seen the bus because mm -hmm. it was such a great likeness here. Yeah. Even Shona, when Shona came that day, when we done the, um, I've done a wee speech in that at the start. Um, Shona went up, touched his hair, and said he would, you know, it's so lifelike. Mm -hmm. Hair's perfect, because Sandy was always had this thing about his hair, you know, he's a perfect <laughs> and he's had to be perf uh, perfection. And a funny thing, right, there was, there was I had um, one of these wee apps where you could swap bits of faces and all that about. So I took his um, forehead with his hair and I took my baldy forehead <laughs> and on his face and I put his, his on mine. <laughs> printed them out in the four sheets. So he came out in the office one morning and says, here, have a look at that, right? So I've, I've thrown him the one over me with his hair. I says, I've swapped heads about here. I says, look at yours, right? And he had he had my forehead, you know, he was absolutely, you know, he fell off his chair, right? So he's taking the two of them away and he's showing everything. He's turning them away and he's showing his family. It's absolutely hilarious, you know. And it was, it looked weird, you know, it looked, um, he was, he was kind of, um, like me, high forehead, you know, and the, the hairline the way back, but he's here does beautiful of hair. And that's one of the things he's going, um, when he, when he came out, when he was no well, and he's gone, oh, I hope my hair doesn't fall out. And he's more interested in his hair than he was his health. Honestly. No. You know, his family would tell you the same amount as my hair. my hair. And he was fortunate enough not to lose all his hair. Aye. You know, even through the chemo and, and all that. Mm -hmm. um, 
I love laughing about him. I, I can't think of Sandy without smiling. Uh, you can see that it comes across Jim the genuine love that you have for the guy, you know, and he obviously was a really, really, really good, good, good pal to you throughout the years, and I'm sure obviously you must have been a good pal to him. Ah, uh, we had we had good laughs. You know, it was always a that was a laugh when you were with Sandy. You know, yeah. I said a couple of times we did we did fall out and disagree and told one another to piss off. And <laughs> you know, the next morning we'll be back talking again. Uh, I don't hold a grudge anyway against Sandy, but Sandy would just come in the morning and they used to have this this um, tune. It wasn't even you couldn't even call it a tune, but it was you could hear him before you seen him. It would, it would go in the corridors and it would go that was not even a tune you know but that's what he used to do I can still hear him in there go out oh, here's coming you know how's things everybody used to everybody used to everybody hear Sandy before you see him you know well Jim make me smile you know I don't, I don't want to keep you too much longer because we've already ran out of time and we have said we'll do more in the future. But I, as, a, as a Rangers supporter, I just need to thank you for the Sandy Jarn bust, the, the stand behind me in the backdrop. You can see his name across the yeah. top of it. I think as a club, it's probably as fitting, two fitting tributes that we could have done uh, to, to, to commemorate his memory and, and to just thank Sandy for everything that he'd done for our football club because... There's no many like Sandy in our history. There's, there'll never be many like Sandy. I don't think there'll ever be until it's Sandy again. Yeah, so no. I just done the finishing. Um, when I did tell him about the, the stand and the, the bust, he was absolutely over the moon. Yeah. He went, you know, he went, oh, can I thank the club enough? And I, I can't thank you enough, Jim, for getting the, the bust and all that. Um, and it was the girl, Helen Runciman, who was a big fan of Sandy's as well. I mean, she put her, she knew Sandy inside it. And the actual bust itself is unbelievable. Like yes. And I was privileged to go along and see it when it was in play for him. Yeah. And I think I started crying when I seen it. Yeah. I mean, what do you sort of look like? What? Like, what? No. He was annoyed. You know, when he got that, his name and his stand named after him when I bust that. But. Well, there's no many, there's no many at our club that, that get stuff like that, you know, because we do have so many legends, but I think it's fitting that a guy like Sandy has the bust and he has the stand named after him, and as I say, he'll never be forgotten in our history, for his, hopefully we go on for another 150 years, you know, and, and more, that Sandy will, will never be forgotten, I don't think. Well, I hope not. I don't think. Yeah, I hope he's never forgotten, you know. Yeah, Thanks, thanks very much for everything. Can't thank you enough. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you back at Ibrox again soon, and hopefully, Sandy's up there helping guide us to fifty-five someday. Definitely, definitely.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.